Let's pray and ask for God's guidance this morning as we look at His Word. Father, as we come before You, I pray that You would just guide our steps, open our hearts to Your Word. Lord, may nothing that is said distract from the power and the principles that You have for us this morning. Lord, we pray for those who aren't able to be with us, many who are traveling. I pray that You would uh, watch over and protect them. And uh, we are so grateful for the blessings that we have that we consider this Thanksgiving season. And as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, may we recognize the greatest gift that we would be thankful for the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, the last Sunday of each month, we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. Those are the two words that we most commonly use, it, use for it. And another term that we use for communion or the Lord's Supper is called Eucharist. And uh, maybe in a more traditional background, that's probably a little more familiar word, but But that word actually comes from the passage as Jesus was spending that last evening with His disciples before He was going to be arrested and then uh, tried and crucified. But Eucharist means give thanks. And so we'll see as we look at Matthew chapter 26, we'll see that that Jesus in, in English, we say He took the cup and gave thanks. That comes from that word Eucharist. And as we celebrate communion, it's so important for us to recognize the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our response to give thanks. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 26. We'll be looking in verses 26 through 30. And it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is My blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in My Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So it's an interesting picture here that Jesus is giving. They're they're celebrating the Passover. It's Passover week in Jerusalem. And the Passover was one of the pilgrimage feasts. The Jews had several feasts, and some of them they were to go to Jerusalem to celebrate, and this was one of them. In fact, Jerusalem was so packed with people and the importance of going to Jerusalem that they would actually expand the city limits into the surrounding area so more people could fit and still be considered in Jerusalem. And so here is Jesus and the disciples and and they're in the midst of chaos all around. I mean, the city is just bursting at the seam with people. And so Jesus and the disciples are sitting together having this Passover meal. And let's begin with looking at a picture of the Passover. Uh, The Jewish tradition of this Passover goes back to the book of Exodus in chapter 12. The Israelite people, the Jews, they were in captivity or slaves in Egypt. And as they were there in Egypt, 
They were looking forward to God's promise of this new land, this promised land. And they had been there for several hundred years. And now in Exodus chapter 12, the first nine of the ten plagues on Egypt have taken place. Moses had been called. We see that at the beginning of Exodus. He'd been called to lead the people of Israel. And they've started the plagues on Egypt. Now, God had told Moses and told the people, Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. But, one day he will let you go. And so that all through the first nine plagues that you read in those chapters previous to Exodus chapter 12, you'll see that, that Moses says, all right, God said, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh would say, no, a plague would come. And Moses would introduce a plague, it would come. And sometimes Pharaoh would say, okay, but then he'd change his mind. And so you see all this going on, this, this back and forth through the first nine of ten plagues. But here comes plague number 10. The death of the firstborn. And God tells Mo Moses to tell the people of Israel, get ready, because this time, you're going to be able to go. But they have some things that they're to do to prepare for this plague. And we see that in Exodus chapter 12. Follow along as, we, as I read the first seven verses. Exodus chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning, or shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, in their religious calendar, God was readjusting things. This is going to be the beginning. Verse 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. So they're setting up. They're to, to get the lamb and they're to have the lamb from the 10th to the 14th. And then at twilight on the 14th, they're to, to kill the sacrificial lamb and they're to put the blood on the doorpost. And God is letting them know that when, they, when the death angel sees the blood that He will pass over that house and not take the firstborn. That's where we get the term Passover. And so we see that, that they're preparing for that. And then we go on a little further in Exodus chapter 12 and verses 12-14. through 14, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn of the, in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day 
shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this lamb was to provide protection for the people of Israel so the death angel would pass over them. It's a picture of God's ultimate forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so the nation of Israel, as they had their sacrifices, it pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. And and this Passover was a, a great picture of the eventual Lamb of God. And so throughout the Jewish history, they they recognized the sacrifice and they looked forward to the Messiah. Now, unfortunately for the Jews, they missed the Messiah. But they were looking forward to a Messiah coming. And so throughout their history, you saw the, the importance of the Lamb. Not only in the Passover as we see in Exodus 12, and sure enough, God came through and and those who did not have the blood, their firstborn died, and also of the animals. But the blood provided protection. In Genesis chapter 22, we see Abraham and his son Isaac. And they're going to the mountain to make a sacrifice. Now, and this is hard, but, but God said, Abraham, do you trust me? I want you to take your son as a sacrifice, a picture of God giving His Son. So as they go up to the mountain, in verse 7, you see a conversation between Abraham and his son Isaac. And Genesis 22, verse 7 says, But Isaac the son, spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father? And he, Abraham, said, Here I am, my son. Then he, Isaac, said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? They they took all the things they needed except the sacrifice. And if you read on through the next verses, Abraham says, God will provide a lamb. And sure enough, God provided the sacrifice. Actually, a ram that was caught in the thicket that they used for the sacrifice. But the nation of Israel was looking for the lamb. And then you travel throughout the history of the nation of Israel and through that 400 silent years between the Old and New Testament. And then you come to the Gospels in the New Testament. And in John chapter 1 and verse 29 you see a statement by a guy named John the Baptist who was the forerunner or the announcer of Christ the Messiah. And it says in John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was announcing for everyone that Jesus was the One they were looking for. He was the Messiah. He was the Lamb that would provide the ultimate freedom. Freedom from sin. Of course, the Jews missed out on a couple fronts. That Jesus was the actual Messiah. And that what did this freedom mean? They thought it was freedom from under the bondage of the Romans at the time. But it was actually freedom from a bondage much worse. The bondage of sin. 
and the consequences of sin in our life that separates us from an eternal holy God. So we see that Jesus and the disciples were celebrating this Passover meal. A meal that they were familiar with. Their families from the very beginning would would do that every year during Passover. And so these disciples, they had all the lines memorized. It was a ritual. And unfortunately, I think for many, it had become just a ritual. You do these things, you say these things, but it makes no impact. They were long removed from the original Passover of Exodus. And for many of them, it just became a formality. But for us, we can have that same struggle. As we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, it becomes just, okay, you do these things, we have the cracker and the juice, and and we read the passage from 1 Corinthians 11 or from one of the Gospels, this do in remembrance of me. But we don't stop to recognize the incredible sacrifice that God made in sending His Son and to respond with the thanksgiving that God calls us to respond with. So here with the backdrop of the Passover meal, Jesus pointed the disciples to His ultimate sacrifice that was going to take place in a very, very short time. In fact, just a few hours later, He would be arrested and then tried and then crucified. But in the middle of the Passover, and they, and they had different things. You know, they had, they had the bitter herbs which reminded them of the pain of, of slavery, and they had the salt that would remind them of, of all the different things. And all the different parts of the meal would be a, a remembrance of what God had done taking them from the slavery of Egypt and, and leading them to the freedom which eventually would lead them to the promised land. But in the middle of it all, Jesus changed the word. And that had to blow their mind. Like, uh, this new covenant stuff, (laughs) uh, that's not in there. Jesus, what are you doing? He was pointing to them of what would take place. The new covenant of Jesus Christ giving His life for their sins as well as for our sins. And so it's amazing as as we look at this to see the importance of being thankful. And there is an incredible amount of thanksgiving in the Lord's Supper. In fact, it centers around thankfulness. You know, Jesus is not only our ultimate sacrifice, and He is that, but He is our ultimate example. And as we celebrate thanksgiving, Let's think about how Jesus points us to thanksgiving as He celebrated the Passover meal and communion with the disciples. And Jezer gave us a great reminder of that last week from 1 Thessalonians where we learned or reminded that in everything we're to give thanks. Now Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians and it wasn't for everything, but in everything. No matter our circumstances, we can 
and should be thankful. And Jesus gives us an incredible picture and example of this that evening. You see, Jesus was able to give thanks knowing that, and there are several things that we can fill in the rest of that statement. Jesus was able to give thanks knowing that Judas would betray Him. If you go back to verses 14-16 through there in Matthew 26, it says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out thirty pieces of silver, so from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Jesus, being God and human flesh, knew what Judas had done and was going to do. And then if you read verses 21-25, through 25, the verses just previous to the, the passage of the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, alright, one of you is going to betray Me. And all the different disciples were like, is it Me? Is it Me? Judas finally said, is it Me? And Judas went out. Now the rest of the disciples, they didn't have a clue. They thought Judas was being sent by Jesus to go to get some more supplies. You see, Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. The rest of the disciples trusted Judas. Really, we could say they trusted him the most because they had very few resources and they trusted them all with Judas. But so right before Jesus shares the Lord's Supper in in the middle of this meal. Judas had just walked out and Jesus knew that Judas was going to meet with those people who in just a couple hours were going to be arrested. And then taking him to be tried and to be crucified. But Jesus could be thankful knowing that Judas would betray him. But not only that, Jesus was able to give thanks knowing that Peter would deny him. The very next verses, verses 31 through 44, 34, excuse me, it says, Then Jesus said to them, So now it's Jesus and the eleven, because Judas had left. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, they missed this part too. He'd been saying it over and over again that he was going to die and rise again, but one more time. After I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Then good old Peter. Verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus knew that Peter would three times deny Him. Deny that He even knew Him. So Jesus was still able to be thankful knowing that. Jesus also was able to give thanks knowing that the disciples would all forsake Him. You follow down in Matthew 26, you get to verse 56. It says, "...and all the disciples forsook Him and fled." Every one of them scattered. When the going gets tough, the disciples start going. 
in every direction except to stand with Jesus. Yet Jesus could still give thanks, even though He knew that those men that He had poured His life into, that He had lived with and loved over those last several years, would not even be willing to stand with Him that night. Jesus was still able to give thanks. Jesus was able to give thanks knowing that the crowd would turn on Him. Go to chapter 27, verses 22 and 23. It says this, Pilate said to them, the crowd that had gathered, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to Him, let Him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has He done? But they cried out all the more saying, let Him be crucified. What's going on there? Well, we see that Jesus had been tried by the Jews, but they could not make the judgment of death. That was The Romans had to do that. The Jews didn't have the power. So they brought Him before Pilate, the governor. And they said, alright, this guy needs to be crucified. So they had to have the trial before Pilate. And so Pilate, he had a, he had a really strange physical ailment. Pilate didn't have a backbone. So he knew that Jesus was innocent. But he wasn't willing to stand up to tell that mob of people that he was not going to allow them to go through with the crucifixion. So he came up with an idea. He said, okay, we, we have a thing, a, a little tradition here, so I can release somebody to you. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you two choices. Either Jesus or Barabbas. This horrendous criminal. And they never guess what they said. They told him he should free Barabbas. And that's where he said, so what should I do with this Jesus? And they shouted out, crucify Him. And these are many of the same people who had just a few days earlier when Jesus came, we call it the triumphal entry. When He came into Jerusalem, they threw their coats in front of Him and, and shouted out, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they had this parade, this celebration. And many of those same people, just like the disciples, when the going got tough, they decided, hey, we're going to go on the side we think is going to win. And so, Jesus could still give thanks even though the crowd would turn on Him. And Jesus could still give thanks even though the authorities would crucify Him. Matthew 27, verse 26, Then He, Pilate, released Barabbas to them, and when He had scourged Jesus, He delivered Him to be crucified. In all of that, and much more, Jesus was still able to give thanks. So as we consider thanksgiving, we need to remember that in all circumstances, we are to be thankful. Are we thankful? You know, there was so much more that night. 
If you go to John's account of what took place during the Passover meal, you'll find that the disciples were fighting over who was the greatest. What did Jesus do? Just like His example of thanksgiving, His example of humility, that's when He got down and washed the disciples' feet. The worst job. It was given to the lowest position person in the house. <laughs> and the disciples, I'm sure many of them, because they, they didn't sit in chairs. They reclined around this short table. And so, I'm sure every disciple had somebody's feet near them. Near their uh, nose. Like, oh man. I'm by Thomas again. His feet always stink. They knew. But no one wanted to live that or to take on that humbling responsibility of washing feet of the other. And so Jesus did it for all of us. And through all of that, Jesus was still thankful. And we're to be thankful in every circumstance. But how can we give thanks when the circumstances are difficult? We can give thanks because we have forgiveness and we have hope. Let's go back to to Jesus' words. Again, as He's changing the words of the Passover and, and He just got done talking about the bread and then in verses 28 and 29 of Matthew 26, He said, For this is My blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. And then He goes on in verse 29 and He says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in My Father's kingdom. This new covenant that Jesus was providing the forgiveness. Why can I be thankful in all circumstances? Because I have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Why can I celebrate communion? And why, can I, why, need, why do I need to be thankful during communion? Is because the forgiveness that I have in Jesus Christ, but it's also a hope. Jesus was reminding them in the midst of the chaos that eternity was coming. And last week, Jezer shared the verse in, in, his, in his sharing last week about how in comparison to our eternity with God, this light affliction that I may currently be going through is minute. We have forgiveness and hope. Because no matter how many how difficult my today is and how many difficult days I may have here on this earth, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, they pale in comparison to the eternal glory that I have with God. And we see that the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of what God has done for us. And we give thanks as we think of Christ's sacrifice, and we give thanks as we look forward to our future hope of eternity with God. And Jesus was reminding the disciples of the hope of His sacrifice, but also the hope of His glory. 
in the midst of the chaos that would take place over those next few days, God is still on the throne and hope still lives. So then, Jesus went back to the tradition of the Passover. So, I mean, here they are. They're doing the things. They're eating the different things. They're drinking. There's like just four different cups of wine that they drink throughout it. All have special parts and remembrances throughout all the things they eat and drink. And they're going through it. And then all of a sudden, this new covenant thing that Jesus is talking about, we call it the Lord's Supper, that sort of blew their minds like, whoop, that's not in the script. But then in verse 30, He gets back to the tradition. Because in verse 30, Matthew 26, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Not only the, the different things they ate and drank as part of the Passover meal, but they would have things that they would say and things that they would sing. And, and throughout all of their different special celebrations, they had things that they would do and sing. And there is a section of Psalms called the Halil. And if you go into the Jewish traditions, they would sing things as they were traveling to Jerusalem. There were things they would sing as they were celebrating the different observances. They would sing all these different things. But Psalm 115 through 118 were part of that, of their tradition. And so, when it says they sang a song and went out to the mount, it, as non-Jews, we look at it and say, okay, <laughs> inspiration. <laughs> what is that? You know, Did somebody just start singing a song and everybody joined in? I mean, what was it? Well, they're back to the Passover tradition. We can be confident that uh, at that point, the 12 singing men included Psalm 118 as the Passover meal was closing. Psalm 118 is a great psalm of thanksgiving. But it also pointed to Jesus. They didn't catch it. But as we're able to look back, we can see it. You'll read things in this psalm like the cornerstone, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. A saying that throughout Acts and the epistles would be brought up by the different Paul and different leaders of the church. cornerstone. comes from Psalm 118. And so as they got ready to go, Jesus knew they were going to the place where He would be arrested and then taken to be tried and then crucified. They sang this reminder of thanksgiving. But Jesus knew it was more than that. A picture of what He was going to do and a celebration that we are to do until He comes again. Psalm 118, it's 29 verses. 
and thinking, okay, so what should we do? You know, this is a little different type of a service than our normal service, but we celebrate Thanksgiving. So we should sing it. And then I thought, boy, that means I would have to lead in 29 verses. Whew. You guys would be ready for the chili field to feed really quick. So how about if we just say it? And that would be better for all of us. So what I want you to do as we close this morning, to do the same thing that the 12 singing men did around 2,000 years ago. Share the words of Psalm 118 as we're reminded of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So would you stand with me? We're going to honor God's Word. And we're, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to read it together. Psalm 118, if you would read it with me, please. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees, they were quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tent of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation." The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed You from the house of the Lord, God is the Lord, and He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise You. You are my God, I will exalt You. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures 
forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Your mercy endures forever. We are so grateful that You are the cornerstone. Lord, that through the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we have hope, we have forgiveness. And as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, Lord, may we recognize all that we have to be thankful for. And may we praise Your name together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.